Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, another day to remember the fact that we're your children and that you have an incredible love and affection for us just as we love our own children. We thank you for adopting us into your family through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place, which was perfect and holy and acceptable in your sight. We thank you that he paid our debt with his own blood so that we could move on and have peace with you and live in freedom and a relationship with you. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that you guide the speaker, and help us all understand personally what you have for us today as you ordain this day, this very message from eternity past, by your wisdom and your grace. Please bless everything that goes on and bless all those listening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Perspective. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. Part two. We started this on Thursday evening, and uh, this is our little mini-series for while pastors on vacation. And if you didn't listen to Thursdays, I hope you catch up as we uh, can't review everything today. But we're going to start in the same way that we started on Thursday, and that is with this idea on the board, which the Spirit's been telling us for years now. Perspective is everything. Our perspective, which is the way we view things in our own souls, and arguably they're different for every single soul listening right now to this message in some way. But the way we view things in our own souls is what the Spirit is desiring to change in us. In every area of our lives, even as believers, we could look at things better than we do more like Christ would look at things. That's an understatement. We could certainly look at things better than we do, uh, even when we think we know the truth, even when we think we're versed in the Word, or uh, even doing our best to follow Him and to learn the Word. We still have a perspective change that needs to be made, and it's kind of a constant thing because we never arrive in this life. But serving is one of these areas that we need to change our perspective on. We can be off, um, and we cannot even sometimes realize we're off unless we pause to examine why we're doing what we're doing. We know by now that God looks at the heart in everything we do. And we saw that example again in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel was trying to choose a king for Israel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Looks like us short people have some hope. Thank you, God. (laughs) Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. 
There couldn't be a bigger difference right there. And the Spirit's given us plenty of Scripture telling us that the heart has to be involved in the spiritual life, whether it's starting with repenting and believing for salvation all the way to how we serve Him. And the Lord is interested in why we do what we do. He's interested in that. He's not just interested in us obeying. He's interested in why we obey. So, for example, on the board, we might call it um, not on the board, I'm sorry, go uh, in your Bibles to Romans 6, 17. Romans 6, 17. He doesn't just desire obedience with a bad attitude. Let me ask you this, parents, do you desire that of your children? Is that okay with you? Obedience with a stubborn attitude? <laughs> Only parents can probably truly appreciate that statement. But so how much more does God as our Father desire the good heart behind the obedience? Romans 6.17 But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became obedient from the heart. So the Lord is interested in why we do what we do. He's looking for good motivation in us, not in us doing the right thing with impure motives. So on the board, here's a question for us all. Serving from the heart? Serving the Lord, and by extension, serving others, can often be done with a skewed perspective or motivation. For example, do we serve out of love? which is the greatest motivation of all that God's looking for? Or are we motivated by some fleshly reason, such as guilt, obligation, approval of others, or even financial gain? It's a great question because a lot of us can serve and be doing it for the wrong reason. And unless we analyze ourselves and analyze our motives, we uh, are wasting our time, honestly. We don't always do God's will with pure motivation. We muck it up. I think, for example, this is one thing that we try to do, right, in the flesh. We try to kill two birds with one stone. Oh, maybe I can serve God in this area and gain something for myself here, too. Whispers the sin nature to your heart. Maybe we can get, you know, kill two birds with one stone here. I'm not sure if I want to serve God in that area, but if I do, oh, I just realized I have something to gain financially or in terms of respect from others or whatever. And these are all obviously skewed motivations. No man is 100% pure in his motivation 100% of the time. Sometimes we serve... And we do so from fleshly reasons, for fleshly reasons. And I'll be honest, there was a time when I was newly into church and the Word of God, and in the back of my mind, I was hoping to get some more customers for my business. It's true. Now, that wasn't the reason I went to church, thank God. That'd be even worse. 
if that was the reason you joined the church. But still, it wasn't a pure motivation, obviously. And I had to ask myself at some point, was I there to serve God or was I there to serve myself? Pretty disgusting, right? By the way, some of you just judged me. <laughs> Be honest. How could he do that? Oh, you innocent one with pure motivation. <laughs> so examine your own motivation. Examine your own heart. And right now you might even be shocked what you're really thinking. But I was young, spiritually speaking, at the time. And the problem was I didn't have the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ yet. I just didn't have his perspective on things. Because I didn't learn his word enough yet. And so God, thank God, is patient with us and brings us along as children who need to be trained. So we're continually submitting to God's word to gain his perspective on things. That's why we do this. That's why we need to do this. We need to see his pure heart and motivation in serving his father in heaven. There's nobody with pure motivation 100% except Jesus. And so that's what, we, that's what we're striving for. That's, what we're, that's why we're, we're into the Word. We're not just here to gain knowledge, I hope. We're here to learn how to look at things like Christ looks at things because we're messed up. We're all messed up. If we're humble, we admit it. You can only fool yourself for so long, you know? And one day you have to face the facts. You have to come to a crossroads and say, why am I here even? Why do I do what I do? Um, am I covering my butt? What am I doing? But it's between each of us and the Lord. Our main point on Thursday was this, serving from the heart. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. It's nothing less than a privilege. And we all fall short at times. God knows we do. But if we remain humble, God will help us see that serving must be done in the right way, with the right motivation. And the right motivation is it's an honor and a privilege before the living God to serve him. I have to tell you a quick story. Um, yesterday I met a homeless guy who was a very nice man, had it all together. I don't know his circumstances or why he became, how he became homeless, but he was a believer in the Lord, and he was um, actively sharing the Lord with other homeless people. And he was talking about how some people have, you know, with the drug problems kind of go off emotionally sometimes or even get violent, and then he'd go up to them after and try to share the Lord with them when they calm down. And then he, then he said to me this, he put his hands together like this, and he's like, it's such an honor to serve him. I can't believe it's such an honor to serve him. Why does he use me? And the Lord gave me that glimpse of, from this man who was in a situation he didn't want to be in, but he knew why he was there for the time being, to serve the Lord. And what's our topic? It's a, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. And that was his attitude flowing out of him. So 
We serve the living God. I mean, the one that gave you life, you know, the one that lets you breathe right now. Again, the point on the board. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. The Spirit also merged something into this study on Thursday. Since our focus is now where it should be, on the Great Commission and seeking and saving the lost, we saw that serving in this area requires the right perspective of compassion and that having compassion on other lost sinners is a total and pure privilege also. We saw this from Pastor's blog, which came out last week, which is on the website if you missed it. What is compassion? The greatest friend compassion has is perspective. To keep it, we must remember the unbeliever's plight. They are lost and confused. Many of them are even venomous, and it stings when they bite us. What came up on Thursday was the reason that dogs even bite. Usually when a dog bites, it's because they're fearful. So when a person attacks us, we have to keep that perspective. What's the reason they're really doing this? Well, they're lost and confused, and that adds up to fear, doesn't it? Ultimately. Others are pathetic, worn, downtrodden, and clingy. We ought to have compassion on them all. We ought to lace up our boots every morning the way good soldiers do and march right back into battle. We're here to seek and save the lost, right? Lacing up our boots every morning to go out and help the lost and sick is something we should embrace as a pure privilege until the day the Lord calls us home. It's really our ultimate purpose. So Pastor went on to say in the blog, this sounds like quite a calling, doesn't it? Well, my friends, it truly is. Beyond that, though, is the fact that it's a divinely bestowed privilege. That's another part of compassion that fuels us. We mustn't ever forget where we've come from, how far the Lord has delivered us by grace. Reaching out to the lost is a divinely bestowed privilege. He lets you represent him to the lost. You don't have to. You can waste your life away, and you will have regrets. You can watch TV 20 hours a day if you want to. But you're missing out on this privilege that he put on your platter to do, this thing that you don't deserve to be able to do, to have a hand in even saving a lost soul a lost sheep. Think about it. Jesus saved you, if you're a believer. And he came to you when you were all ugly and stubborn and miserable. Right? Did he give up on you? Or did he give up his heart to reach out to you, despite the ugly issues going on in your soul, maybe even attacking him in some way? It's amazing how quickly we forget where we came from and what the Lord saved us from. And on the board, that's the value of the mirror. We look at others and we say, what's wrong with them? Or I can't deal with them. 
And yet that was you at one point. Look in the mirror. Did you forget what you look like? That person that you can't stand or are really annoyed by or um, are discouraged by their weakness, whatever their weakness is, that was you. Wasn't it? A little different variation. Maybe not. Maybe you're in denial that you were that bad. Right? <laughs> Let's face it. Maybe others have different flaws than you or different types of arrogance. But that was you too. And so we must, and we're called to have compassion. It's a privilege to have compassion on others the same way the Lord had compassion on us. And another person had compassion on us one day. One day. Somebody helped you get here. Somebody helped you find the Lord. It's just how the Lord works. And they were compassionate and patient with you. So don't let the different types of sins or weaknesses throw you off. It was you. You're the, you might as well look in the mirror when you're seeing them. As ugly as it is and you don't want to admit it. And I shared with you on Thursday what the Lord said about various kinds of greed. Just as an example, on the board in Luke twelve fifteen, in the NIV, then he, Jesus, said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. But what was the point of this? That there are all kinds of greed. There's not one kind. There are different shades. There are different colors and types of sin. Think of all the different shades of arrogance that it shows up in. But yet it's all the same sin of arrogance. It's the same sin that you had. Maybe just a different color. But what do we do? We judge. We give up on people. We make excuses why we can't be patient with somebody. And by the way, they're lost, possibly even destined for the lake of fire. But they rub me the wrong way. I don't want to persist and be patient with them. How selfish we are. But the point of the lesson is that if we change our perspective, if we look at things from Jesus' point of view, how it's a pure privilege to be able to go up to these lost folks the way Jesus came up to you, then that changes everything. It makes it easy to hang in there, quote-unquote, because it's nothing compared to what the Lord did for you and I. So back to our main point on the board, serving from the heart. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege it's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. Allow the Lord's perspective to rescue your skewed thinking. We began on Thursday seeing the life of a man who appeared to have the proper perspective on serving the Lord and his people. He's a believer in the Old Testament named Obed-Edom. On the board, Regarding serving as a pure privilege, the example of Obed-Edom 
is there for us. In 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13. He appears to be a humble man of God who understood the privilege of serving God when the opportunity literally came to his doorstep. And we can only conclude that he had a healthy fear and reverence for God. And that motivated him to serve the Lord in gratitude. On the board, the example of Obed-Edom. One thing we will notice is his willingness to serve the Lord in whatever was needed. And that's a good reminder to us of what a good heart looks like. His heart was with the Lord. When someone's heart is with the Lord, they're like, all right, whatever's needed. Okay, that's the problem. Okay. If the, think about it this way. If the Lord brought it to your attention, maybe there's a reason. And if it's something good, you know, we're not talking about something that is questionable if it's a good work or not of God. If something is a legitimate need and serves God and his people and it's brought to your doorstep, maybe you should be humble and willing. He shows us willingness to serve God with whatever is needed. I'm sure what he served the Lord in was not what he expected. If you were here Thursday, you know, and we're going to get to it. But a servant's heart is willing to, quote-unquote, heal everyone. To have compassion on anyone and everyone the Lord brings in your life in every situation. That's the willing heart of a servant. For example, Jesus didn't pick and choose who he healed based on the comfort of the situation or if he liked them or not personally. Scripture tells us many times he went to many towns and healed everyone. Everyone. There's a need, a legitimate need, done. That's the heart of a servant. So who are we to pick and choose who we serve or what we serve? Especially if God brings it to our attention. On the board, serving is a pure privilege. If we change our perspective and realize that serving is a pure privilege before God Almighty, we will be willing to do whatever is needed, whatever the Lord brings to our doorstep. The key word is willingness. The humble servant's heart is a willing heart. It's not a willful one. It's not a self-indulgent one. Worried about how you know, self is going to feel. Or how comfortable self is going to be. It's a willing heart. So back to our friend Obed-Edom, who is a wonderful example to us. And he's a friend to us because of the wonderful example he shows us with his life. For some context at this point, before we turn to our passage, David is now the king of Israel, even after Saul has finally died. And David was now soundly in charge and respected by all the people. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel 6. So David decided it was time to bring the Ark of the Covenant to his city. And he went out with thousands of Israelites to bring it back in this huge celebratory parade 
praising God for all he had done for Israel. So that's the background. That's the setting. 2 Samuel 6.1 Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baale Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might uh, bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now on Thursday, the Spirit gave us some lessons on this event first. And this might seem unfair to us at first, what happened to this man, as it did to David. But as usual, something's off in our human perspective. On the board, we saw that Warren, Warren Worsby commented this way on this passage in 2 Samuel 6. David's first attempt failed miserably because the Levites didn't carry the ark on their shoulders. God had given specific directions through Moses how the tabernacle was to be erected, dismantled, and transported in Numbers chapter 4. And the major pieces of furniture were to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites who were descended from Kohath. So on the board, here we see a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, or a resemblance of it. And as you can see, there are poles coming out on both ends, which would allow the Levites to carry the Ark on their shoulders without holding the Ark itself with their hands. So this is how God instructed it to be done, very clearly and written down for the Jews. So remember the principle, to whom much is given, much is required. Again, go back to being, think, thinking of a parent with their children, right? You require much more of your children when they already know the answer, or they already know what you want, than you do if they don't really know what you want yet. And so God, God's children, know or should know what he wants. God was very clear with them and even had Moses write it down for them. So it's not like the Jews didn't have this clearly given to them in the Torah, available to them. That if the wrong people touched the ark, they would die. That's what the scripture says. Or if the right people touched the ark, but in the wrong way, they would die. That was clearly given them by God. Just like a parent would instruct his children. And they would be dishonoring God directly the one that saved them from Egypt. They'd be directly dishonoring him by disobeying this guidance, this command. 
So obviously there's nothing much worse than becoming familiar or disrespectful towards the Lord himself. Uh, Warren Worsby goes on to say, the lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. The fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the cart didn't make it right. When it looked like the ark would fall from the cart, Uzzah presumptuously took hold of it to steady it, and he was killed. But God had warned about this in the law of Moses, and every Israelite surely knew of it. In Numbers 151 and Numbers 4, 15 and 20. We're not going to turn there today. We did that on Thursday, but you can look that up when you go home if you want. So David and his quest to bring the ark back to his city, the problem was an issue of disobeying God's law, even though he might have had good intentions. So we see the importance of doing things from the heart, yes, but also in obedience to God's word. Remember how we started this morning. God desires we be obedient from the heart. Mr. Wiersbe continues and says, The church today needs to heed this reminder and return to the word of God for an understanding of the will of God. No amount of unity or enthusiasm can compensate for disobedience. When God's work is done in man's way and we imitate the world instead of obeying God's word, we can never expect the blessing of God. And if he finishes up this way, the crowds may approve what we do, but what about the approval of God? I think about a lot of churches right now that are appealing to the crowds. They're appealing to the people to get more people in the church. So the crowds may approve, but what about the approval of God? Many pastors today even do things directly against the word of God to appease the people. What about the approval of God? The way of the world is ultimately the way of death. Some of us, even believers, are stuck in the way of the world. And the problem is we bring the way of the world into the church. We say this is how things operate out there, so let's bring that in because I'm comfortable with it and I know it. And, you know, it works out there, so let's bring it in and run things this way. The heck with running things that way. What, like the devil's world has taught us since we were babes? Or should we run things God's way and submit to his authority and his word? But guess what? You don't know his word? You're lost. You're like a fish out of water, spiritually. And you're going to run things the world's way. And the way of the world is the way of death. So what's it going to be? We have to make a choice. Are we going to humble ourselves and, and learn and submit to God's ways on the board? It's about gaining the Lord's perspective. Again, that's why we're here, not to gain knowledge. We're here to gain the Lord's perspective on things. And that involves learning the Word of God and gaining knowledge, yeah. But what's our reason to look at things or learn how Jesus looks at things? This is why we need to learn the Word of God daily, both under our pastor teacher and in our own reading of Scripture. Without training in the Word, we are destined to displease God in our ways and motivations. Do you really want that to be your story in the end when you face God? 
that you, you know, cow down to the ways of the world or were too lazy to learn the word and the things you did displeased him while you were here? He wants us to gain his perspective so that we do things his way and from his motivation also, with his motivation of love. So we desperately need to gain the Lord's perspective. That's what it comes down to. I don't know if you admit it or not in your own soul, but it is a, um, we're desperately lost without learning his perspective. Even as a believer, we can be stuck in the ways of the world and be like doing things actually even in the church that are, are embarrassing to God or that don't bring him glory. And so that's why we're here. We're fortunately very well taught here. We stick to the word of God here. But it involves your personal soul, your personal discipline. You know, just because the word is well taught here doesn't mean everyone in here follows the word, submits to the word. And you personally, we all personally need to realize we desperately need to gain the Lord's perspective on matters because we're not born with it. And we don't gain it just by sitting in the seat by osmosis or something. It's a choice. So again, on the board, this is why we need to learn the Word of God daily, both under our pastor teacher and in our reading of the Scriptures. Without training in the Word, we are destined to displease God with our ways and motivations. We're desperately in need of gaining the Lord's perspective. So back to 2 Samuel 6, verse 6. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So, in verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So back to Obed-Edom, this apparently willing servant of the Lord, and of the king of Israel. He was obviously a willing servant. He was obviously humble enough to take the ark into his own home after the frightening death of one of God's people. So there's a certain level of humility here. And there's a certain uh, perspective he had, which is on the board. It's a privilege to serve. Obed-Edom, in humility was simply available to be used by God for his service, whatever was asked of him. We've heard this principle over the last few months. God just wants us to be available, willing. And then he can use us in ways that will even surprise us, wonderful ways. Sometimes we're going to be asked to do things that we aren't expecting. 
maybe there's a need that comes up that's not really desirable to fill. Or it's a volatile time, maybe even in the church, as it was for Obed-Edom here at this volatile time. But Obed-Edom was humble, and he had the right perspective about serving, which is it's all a privilege. I'll do it for the Lord. There's a need? Let me know, please. What is it? And if it's legitimate need of the Lord or His people, I'll do it. Even though I wasn't trained in that area. Even though I don't think that's my strength. Obed-Edom didn't care. And even in the face of danger, he served the Lord at a time when he was needed. Even the king, David, a man of great faith and humility, needed him, needed somebody to step up at this time and help him out. And the other thing about this man, Obed-Edom, is we read nothing in the scriptures about him that's flashy or prominent. David apparently trusted this man to take care of the ark, and obviously that says a lot. But we're also not going to read any words in scripture from this man, Obed-Edom. We only know him by his actions, which again is pretty cool, because like Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruit. You'll know them by the fruit. We can learn so many lessons from this man, and he didn't say a word in Scripture. And as we read, the Lord blessed this man and his entire household. On the board, the example of Obed-Edom, it's a privilege to serve the Lord, and it appears this man had that perspective. And again, not that David didn't have that perspective. I believe he did. But this was Obed-Edom's opportunity. Maybe it'd even be there for King David in a moment of weakness. But this seemingly uncelebrated man was willing to fill in the gap and serve the Lord in a unique way and at a difficult time. So let's call it this on the board. Let's call it buying time for your fellow soldier. Just think about this concept for a minute. Three months later, David learned of the blessing of God upon Obed-Edom and his house. And then he was ready to take the ark into Jerusalem. We're going to read that next in verses 12 through 15. But think about this concept, buying time for your fellow soldier. Is there anybody that deserves your compassion and grace and helping hand more than your fellow soldier that's in the spiritual trenches with you? You know how hard the battle is sometimes, right? I had a battle this morning. My own faith, my own soul. It's a battle. The sin nature's whispering, right, to to your heart, do it this way, or is this really real, like Satan said to Jesus? It's a battle. So is there anybody that's more... um, more wonderful to serve than your fellow believer right next to you, maybe sitting to you right now, right next to you, who is willing to go through the same spiritual fight for the Lord as you are. So when you have the opportunity to buy time for your fellow soldier who needs a break, who needs a breather, is there any greater privilege than that? What did Jesus say in John 15? There's no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
So you and I are going to get opportunities at times to give a breather to your fellow soldier who is just, you know, struggling right now or has the wrong perspective and needs three months like David did to gather himself, to go to the Lord alone, to pray about whatever's haunting him or bothering him and to pick up your soldier's bag and carry it for three months because he loves Christ, even though right now he's whatever, in the woods. Look for those opportunities. There's no greater privilege than that. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And your friends are those that hear the word of God and keep it. Right? Jesus said, who are my, mothers and, who are my mother, mother and brother and sisters? Those who hear the word of God and keep it. So we're looking at a beautiful perspective here on the board. Buying time for your fellow soldier. And that's what Obed-Edom was able to do for King David. Look at verse 12, 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom in the city of, into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. So Obed-Edom filled in the gap for this wonderful man of God named David until David was ready to take the ark to the city in the God-ordained way. So on the board, again, it's a privilege to serve. Obed-Edom's faith was an encouraging example to King David in his moment of weakness. What a privilege that is. We are made, part of our purpose is to encourage one another, even by each other's faith. Romans 1.12. Turn in your Bibles again to Romans 1, verse 11. Again, Obed-Edom's faith was an encouraging example to King David in his moment of weakness. What a privilege. We are made to encourage one another, even by each other's faith. Romans 1, verse 11. Paul says... For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. This is why coming together with other believers is something we look forward to. Whether you realize it or not, you need to see and be encouraged by the various types of faith in this room. You need it. If you're going to be this isolated believer at home reading your own Bible and not talking to anybody, you are going to miss out on a lot of the perspective that you need to see that God designed to teach us from other people's faith. And that's what the Wednesday night Bible studies give us, a different perspective of how to look at faith, how to apply faith. 
that maybe we just had this little gap in our head, in our soul. How do these things connect? How do I do this thing? God designed it that we function together as the body of Christ. We were designed to gather together as the body of Christ under the guidance of a pastor. So believe it or not, whether you admit it or not, you need to be exposed to other believers and see their faith and see how they follow Christ. And by the way, there's not a more relaxed group of people to hang out with, is there? Is there more of an of a edifying, gracious group of people that you could possibly spend time with? Are your friends in the world really that for you? Or are they just a way to hold on to the ways of the world for you? But here you have this refreshing light, this refreshing meal, this refreshing drink to partake in with one another and, and experience each other's faith. You need it, whether you believe it or not. And by the way, even you might not believe this, but people need to see your faith at times. I don't care what you think of yourself. Um, we all sometimes get down on ourselves for our lack of faith, for example. But people need to see your faith too. Because there's times when you're going to be Obed-Edom and King David, who has unbelievable faith compared to my, most, right? Didn't have it. So someone in the church might need your faith, as little as it may be might need your faith at a certain moment in time and you have the privilege of being here for them to show them some little piece of steadfastness in your soul. It's all a privilege, isn't it? You can stay home and miss out on that if you want or you can actually make an eternal difference in the Lord's eyes and even save someone else's soul in a way. So we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. Don't ever underestimate your role. You have one. Isn't that good enough? You have a piece in the body. And we all need encouragement at times. And seeing one another's faith can be huge. And by the way, some of us wrongly put our pastor on a pedestal, and therefore we think he doesn't need encouragement, or that he doesn't have weak moments in faith. But on the board, regarding the need for encouragement, every man, every believer has times of doubting and weakness because every man is tempted and taunted by his sin nature. And that's just for starters. Right? Amen? So if that's you, why do you think someone else is different? Why do you think David's different? Do you put him on a pedestal? It's totally fine to admire his faith and respect his humility. And learn from it. What a wonderful example, right? But it's not fine to put him on a pedestal. And be like, oh, I'll never have his faith. Well, if it doesn't depend on you, if faith is a gift from God given to those who are humble, how can you say I'll never have that? You're saying it depends on you. So be careful. Even David needed encouragement. And in Romans 1.12, even Paul said he longed for the encouragement of others' faith. The Apostle Paul. And I was thinking as I was reviewing my notes this morning, 
Do you remember when John the Baptist sent somebody to Jesus? After John had already baptized Jesus and saw the dove come out of the sky, the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus. After that, John sent someone to Jesus to say, are you really the real one that I'm, we're expecting? How's that for a, a time of weak faith? John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest man among men. So that, let that encourage you. That encouraged me this morning. I'm like, man, I suck. Man, my faith is weak. I'm like, why am I thinking these thoughts? You know, Lord, help me increase my faith, like the apostle said. And then John the Baptist, Paul, David. So be encouraged by that. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Did the Lord rebuke John the Baptist when, when he had someone come ask him that? He didn't. He just said, go show, tell him all the fruit I'm doing. Go tell him all the people I'm healing. Go encourage his faith because everybody needs it. So again, on the board, it's a privilege to serve. Obed-Edom's faith was an encouraging example to King David in his moment of weakness. What a privilege. We are made to encourage encourage one another, even by each other's faith, in Romans 1.12. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom greatly for this, because he walked in humility, even in the shadow of Uzzah's death. Now let's take a moment here to review what's revealed about David's mistake that he realized after some time had passed. On the board, fixing our skewed perspective. At first, David was angry with the Lord for killing Uzzah. But as usual, when we take time and pray about things that we don't understand, the Lord shows us our error. Isn't that true? If you're honest, I mean, hopefully that has to happen. It happens to everybody at some point. Lord, I'm angry with you. I don't understand this. Why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why did I lose this family member? Why this sickness? Why my job? Why, 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 why? It makes no sense. I'm following you. And then you pray and you pray and you pray and you relax and God gives you the answer and said, oh, I was a little bit remiss. I didn't honor the God he told, the way he told me to. Or I didn't pray the right way or whatever. He shows you. And 99% of the time, it's something on, on our error. Maybe our motivation's wrong, like we started with in the beginning. Are we serving him from the heart? Are we serving him for some kind of, kind of a little selfish reason mixed in there? If we're honest, this is like clockwork on the board. We get angry at God. We think we're right. But once we humble ourselves and seek his answers, he shows us our error. It's our human perspective that's off. And that's why we come here, to gain the Lord's perspective. Not just to learn the word and obey, but to obey him from the heart, right? And to be like, Lord, how do you see this? Help me see this the way you see this, because I don't see it right now. Again on the board, fixing our skewed perspective. At first, David was angry with the Lord for killing Uzzah, but as usual, when we take the time and pray about things that we don't understand, the Lord shows us our error. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1. First Chronicles 15, 1 Chronicles 15.1 
So here we see David kind of correct himself or realize his error and he's ready to do it the right way now. But it took probably three months of a lot of prayer and suffering in a way. 1 Chronicles 15.1 Now David built houses for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place which he had prepared for it. So now David realizes he forgot to have the ark of God carried by the Levites. And then look at verse 11. Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Aminadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives. There were some things they had to do according to the Lord to, to consecrate themselves, to be holy, to touch the Lord's articles. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So there we see David's repentance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So David humbly realizes now and admits his mistake, and he goes to recover the ark from Obed-Edom, the man who stepped in the gap and helped him out. Now notice the blessings continue for Obed-Edom for the one who realized it was a pure privilege to serve the Lord in any capacity. On the board, Obed-Edom's blessings continue. In 1 Chronicles 15, 18 through 24, he is appointed as a gatekeeper of the ark, as well as being privileged to play instruments of celebration to the Lord. So the same man that filled in the gap, who did this tremendous service to King David, buying time for his fellow soldier in need at that time. He was then honored with more positions that serve the Lord and his people. If you look at the end of verse 21, you're already in uh, chapter 15, right? If you look at the end of verse 21, Oben-Edom was appointed a part of the music ministry to lead with lyres tuned to the Sheminath, whatever that is. But he was appointed part of the music ministry. And this is why this also should be seen as a privilege to be part of the church choir. It's another area of service. It's another opportunity to honor and praise the Lord. Who are you that you should be able to sing before the Lord and his people? Right? Who are we that we should be do anything that we do for the Lord? And that was Obed-Edom's attitude, so he got more and more and more opportunities and blessing because it was a privilege. And at the end of verse 24, look at the end of verse 24, Obed-Edom was chosen to be one of the gatekeepers. Obed-Edom and Jehiah also were gatekeepers for the ark. 
What a tremendous and unique privilege that was. So God rewarded this humble servant with more honorable opportunities to serve him. And remember, because of the servant's attitude of Obed-Edom, David was encouraged to move forward with God's plan for him and God's plan for the ark. It's all a privilege, isn't it? I mean, I keep saying it over and over, but again, to help your fellow soldier like David, to help a, a man like that that really did love the Lord, whew, what a wonderful, pure opportunity. And then Obed-Edom and his family continued to be blessed. Turn to First Chronicles 16, chapter 37. As we begin to close. First Chronicles 16, 37. So he, David, left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually, as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom, with his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom, also the son of Jeduthun and Hosa as gatekeepers. Obed-Edom and his 68 relatives. All of his family got blessed because of him. Blessed by God. And this reminds me of a passage in Hebrews that we went to on Thursday. Uh, let's turn there and give that another read in Hebrews 6, verse 9. And the point here is that God doesn't forget any, anything that we do for him with a good heart. Even the smallest of things. God doesn't forget anything that we do, where man does. You know, the idea came up on Thursday. If, if you did something for a friend of yours that was in need, and then they didn't even say thank you, forget paying you back, they didn't even say thank you. And then you're like, you know, what the heck? <laughs> I, I just stepped in the gap for you. I gave up my own time on my own money or whatever the situation. But you see, God never, ever, 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 ever does that. He's not like, oh, did I forget to thank you for that? When we get to heaven, it's all there as if it happened yesterday. And hopefully, it's thousands of things. Thousands of little ways we were able to serve the Lord in our lifetime. And he doesn't forget one of them. Look at Hebrews 6.9. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Now, by the way, that's if you're doing it for his name, right? That's if you're serving for him, not for self. But when you show love towards his name, God's not unjust so as to forget your work in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Big picture stuff, folks. Right? Step back from your life. Step back and look at the whole thing. We're here for a big reason, an overarching reason, right? And when we get to heaven, we're going to see it all as plain as day. So 
Be diligent. Be patient. Keep the faith because you will inherit the promises. Why? Because God's faithful. And he's not unjust. And look at Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom continued to get blessed with these wonderful positions, these wonderful privileges to serve in, and his whole family of 68 relatives got blessed along with him. So now, as we close our lesson in 1 Chronicles, keep in mind how much God loves family. He doesn't even neglect to mention any of the children of his servants. Look at 1 Chronicles 26, verse 4. 1 Chronicles 26, verse 4. God loves family. God loves every single one of us so much more than we can even imagine. And if you have trouble with that, just think of how much God loves children. Just think how much you love children or a child in your life. I asked a friend of mine who just had a baby, her first baby. I said, what does it feel like to be a mom now? And she said, you know what? It really shows me how much God loves us. And you know what? We need that real-life illustration sometimes to be like, wow, that is how God looks at me, even though I'm a jerk, even though I am what I am. That's how much God loves me. It's crazy. So keep that in mind, how much God loves family as we read this. Look at First Chronicles 26, verse 4. Obed-Edom had sons, Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nathanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Puelathai the eighth. God had indeed blessed him. Also to his son Shemaiah sons were born who ruled over the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valor. The sons of Shemaiah were Othni, Raphael, Obed, Elzabad, whose brothers Elihu, and uh, Semachiah were valiant, valiant men. All these were of the sons of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were able men with strength for service, 62 from Obed-Edom. And then jump to verse 12. To these divisions of the gatekeepers, the chief men were given duties like their relatives to minister in the house of the Lord. They cast lots, the small and the great alike, according to their father's households, for every gate. The lot to the east fell to Shelemiah. Then they cast lots for his son Zechariah, a counselor with insight, and his lot came out of the north. For Obed-Edom it fell to the south, and to his sons went the storehouse. Now look at verse 13 again. They cast lots, the small and the great alike, according to their father's households. How many people were there casting lots for this position as a gatekeeper? A lot of households in the, in, in the Jewish country at that time. Remember, 30,000 followed David in the parade, bringing the ark back. So of all these families, God chose Obed-Edom for the south gate. And then to his sons, on top of it, went the storehouse. We'll get into that maybe a little bit more on Tuesday. But this faithful, humble servant is rewarded by God. And there's not much better than seeing your own children be blessed. Is there? 
And so God blessed Obed-Edom's children too, which was a greater blessing to him. All this came about because Obed-Edom had the right perspective on serving. He wasn't doing it begrudgingly. He, wa- he didn't live in fear, although everyone else was at the time. He said, this is a privilege, and I'm taking it. Wow, I'm going to put the ark of God in my house? Bring it in. The Lord wants to kill me. It's his will be done. Bring it in, you know? He saw this privilege on his front doorstep that the king asked him to do. He's like, whatever you want, Lord. This man walked by faith and not by sight. If he walked by sight, he would have been scared like the rest of them because of what happened to Uzzah. But he trusted God and he had the right heart. On the board, he had the right perspective. Serving the Lord is a pure privilege and nothing less than that. So may the Lord change our perspectives for each and every one of us so that we do things obediently but also from the right heart. Amen? All right, let's close with the video. Your life will just run right through a brick wall and you don't even understand what just happened to you. Some people have been through a lot that they're on the street and that uh, to be open, as open-minded as you can and open-hearted. Um, and definitely um, open-minded, you know, because um, you never know what someone's been through. Sometimes I think, what will people say of me when I'm only just a memory? When I'm home where my soul belongs? Was I loved when no one else would show up? Was I Jesus to the least of us? Was my worship more than just a song?
longing for the world to know the glory of the King. I want to live like that and give it all I have so that everything I say and do points to Close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the honor and privilege of serving you. We know we're nothing without you. We know our very lives and breath are gifts from you. Help us to have this proper perspective every day of our lives as we wake up. Help us to live in light of eternity, that everything you give us the opportunity to do is a pure privilege for you and for those who are lost. We thank you for involving us in your plan. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give to those who repent and believe in your Son as Lord and Savior. Father, we ask that you help us Bring your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We thank you for this tremendous privilege. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit.